Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hello and welcome to the UK Film Review Podcast. I'm your host for this one. My name's Ian and I'm joined by Jason. Hello, good to be here. Amazing. And Andy. Hello. Hello, how are you? I'm very well, thank you. And you doing well, guys? Both of you doing good? Yeah, not bad, thank you. Yeah, all good, thanks. Very excited for this one. Oh yes, fantastic. I'm glad that's the that's the vibe I want. <laughs> we are here and you're joining us to hear us discuss the very unique and amazing film career of Guillermo del Toro and his fantastic film catalogue. And we're here to discuss our perhaps impressions of his work, our favourite films of his, perhaps some of the ones we don't like, and also the future films that we'd like to see him do. And for me, I remember very well being introduced to del Toro because it distinctly in my mind remember seeing as a kid the Film 4 advert back when I used to watch to terrestrial TV a lot and had free view. And Pan's Labyrinth was constantly on the advert to be like, this, this, we've got this to play and you need to watch this. And I remember seeing it and being completely like blown away by this world that was created by him. And that was sort of my gateway into his film catalogue of this very unique world of detail that he creates, a very ambitious and almost like textured universe that he's created in his mind and we see in this fantastic representations on the screen but I'm interested to see how you guys also introduced into his films and also your impressions of his work and perhaps you know your high points of his films because Pan's Labyrinth for me is one that because I saw it first it's just blows me away even to this Mm -hmm. day but you know what what do you guys think you know let's work backwards from our introductions Uh, Andy what what, how did you delve into you know his his film catalogue and and what is it that really stands out for you with Del Toro? Yeah I mean similar to you I have to say in the the first and still best I think is Pan's Labyrinth. Um, I first saw that film I think I was about 13, 14. Um, We watched it in Spanish class at school. Um, My teacher made us watch that and The Motorcycle Diaries um, with Gail Garcia Bernal. Yeah. I think we were like, yeah, 12, 13, probably far too young to be watching Pan's Labyrinth in school, to be honest. But <laughs> it was great. And I was, I didn't really know anything about film at this point. I didn't really know who this Del Toro guy was. I didn't really know, hadn't really made the connections with other films and stuff, you know. Mm. Um, but then I watched it. And I was like, oh, I like this. This is this is cool. The guy with the eyes in his hands. And I was like, I remembered it. And then years later, when I kind of, you know, got into film, I was like, oh, it's this same guy, you know, mm. and all this other stuff. So, and then I've rewatched it a couple of times since. And it, yeah, every time it just kind of blows me away. Um, other highs, I really like. Um, I mean, Shape of Water is obviously his biggest success mm. in the sense that he won in the Oscar. I, I I only saw it once. I saw it when it came out, and I haven't seen mm-hmm. it since. 
Mm-hmm. And I loved it at the time. Um, I know some people, when, whenever anything wins Best Picture, there's usually a sort of a backlash to it. Mm. Um, and there are very valid points to be made about the casting with that film. Like, that's a kind of general point about casting with disabled actors and things. Yeah. Um, not just that film, but it does apply. Mm-hmm. Um, but just as a film, I think um, I loved it at the time um, very much. And also, I'm quite a big fan of Crimson Peak as well. I think yeah, that's him going like, he feels free in that film. He's going like mm. full tilt, mm. gothic with the blood. And it's just very, it feels like he's having a really good time. And I had a really good time as well. Totally. I, I completely agree with Crimson Peak as well. It's yeah. it's almost like he, he his catalogue is like a really select few films. Not like he's not made many, but it when you compare him to say the work of like a Spielberg or something mm-hmm. like that, it's a, it's a smaller catalogue. And I, Crimson Peak does feel like one when I saw it that felt like after a few films that he had made, which felt a bit more perhaps the industry backed films, it felt more yeah. perhaps his way of making a film he wanted to put his love into a project and crimson peak definitely feels like that uh jason what about yourself you know where, where did you sort of like become introduced was it similar to us with pan's labyrinth or did, were you a bit early on his film or a bit later uh, a bit earlier on i said mm. it started for me with a hellboy film you know <laughs> yes. I, I love that film i love the monster i thought the monsters in it look fantastic all the creatures mm. and the settings you know mm-hmm. it, it was something you know you know, it made a, it made quite an impression on me. Mm. I love, you no, know, I love the hero Hellboy and all the characters. You know, it is quite a great um, superhero film, I'd say. Mm. Mm. It, it, it is very. It's interesting you mentioned the monsters as well because in the run up of this podcast, um, I, I it's been a, a little bit of time since I've watched a uh, a Del Toro film, and I watched some really great videos and interviews with him in regards to his monster making. And like the way he creates a visual tapestry with a monster and how it's not just a singular, you know, creature that you see in the film and you move on from it. And he thinks that like films that have monsters in that just have like a singular, no changing representation of that monster can be somewhat not lazy, he said, but definitely he wants his monsters to represent like change through the plot. And you can see that pretty much like throughout his films that he has monsters in them. And he talked about the idea that a monster or a design is almost like a bullseye. And in the center of the bullseye is the creature design. And then everything working out from it in the film is something that complements that design. So the set, the colors, the palettes, the dialogue, it all comes back. And I think Hellboy, even though I'm a massive Hellboy comic fan, and I do have this kind of what I was talking about with our perhaps highs and lows, I do like Hellboy. But as a Hellboy comic fan, both films are just not a Hellboy comic. They're just not. They're they're great films, and I really love them, and I think they are really entertaining. But as a Hellboy fan, I'm like, this isn't Hellboy. But the, the fact that he creates this really amazing, as you say, monsters that you can really get, like, I don't know, like they are genuinely unsettling that you become very like connected to that universe because they're almost like, well, they are real. It's not special effects unless it's complementing the design. Um, so yeah, Hellboy is a great, a great choice. Um, is there any that you think, uh, maybe as you said, Andy, with, with with Crimson Peak, that is like, I'm not sure how well known or how many people have seen Crimson Peak. Is there ones that you guys go, that if there's a film you should watch of his catalogue, that this is the one I'd recommend. Is there any that you go, yeah, that that's fantastic? Um, to either of you, I mean, Andy, which one do you think? Yeah, I think, I think probably, I think like I said, I think his best film is Pan's Labyrinth. Mm. I've seen at least, I've seen everything, but um, I think I'd probably recommend Shape of Water because I think it does actually. I think that's why it wins Best Picture because I think it ticks a lot of boxes and it feels mm. to quite a broad audience because you've got a sort of love story element to it. You've got the just kind of adventure, you know, good guys versus bad guys. You've got the cool monster creature design. It's quite thrilling. Mm. Like he, he's, a, he's a good at melding genres together. Yeah, very much so. And that's a very good example of it. And I think it actually, if you, people were arguably to criticise the film, it's quite straightforward, actually. It's quite a simple story. Mm. And there's actually mm. maybe not that much to it, but also it, it looks so good and it's mm. so effective. That I think that's why I'd, I'd recommend that one to most people because I just think yeah, I, I can't see many people not liking that film or not mm. kind of getting it where I think some people struggle a bit I mean 
you know, some people in general don't particularly enjoy watching subtitles with films. Yeah, um, Labyrinth is a bit more. It's a bit slower, I think. Pan's Labyrinth. Um, mm. It's also quite horrible in bits. Mm. Um, although yeah. so is Shape of Water. Actually, his films mm. get surprisingly violent for, for that kind of fairy tale vibe he has going on. Mm. They get really quite nasty. It, um, it is true that um, with interestingly, we will jump back to straight the Shape of Water, mm. but there's a couple of things there that you said because I interestingly. I'm not that big a fan of Shape of Water. Okay. I thought um, it might be the case. Yeah. <laughs> when I said beforehand there's going to be some controversial opinions, Shape of Water is the one that, like... And it might be because I was so hyped up for it. Like, I, I really liked Del Toro's films before this. And when I heard, like, oh, there's this film that's critically acclaimed, people love it, it's also getting, like, the recognition that I think he deserves as a, as a, as a director... When I saw it, I was just disappointed because perhaps you're right. It maybe is just, I don't know. It does have a lot to say. It's got a lot of things to say, you know, and, and it does follow his sort of like, not pattern because that makes it sound like he's predictable, but he does place these fantastical fantasy worlds within real world history that allow it to complement the surroundings. And that kind of links to the violence that I wanted to touch on more than Shape of Water because I'm sure we'll go into it, but you are right. He his films become very violent, but I feel like they're not. He, again, they're not grotesque violence or anything that's like brutally violent. But it's more the like in Pan's Labyrinth when the guy, the doctor's going to saw off somebody's leg. You don't actually see that, but it's kind of like the you know that it's painful, and it's and I think that's the thing that's most like hitting about the violence in his films that it seems to really hurt like you know what i mean <laughs> like in 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 shape of water which again i agree with you it's visually great and i do think it is very much like if there's a film that is his style shape of water is it like when people get shot or are uh, antagonists like ripping off his fingers it's like there's this yeah. real sense of like pain and visceral like like pain i can't think of a better word than pain yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah I, I i completely get what you mean his films are like violent but not in the sense of like a saw film or something like that which is just grotesquely violent it it has a substance to its violence and the violence kind of means something to it oh yeah um, i agree it's it's hot it's nasty but that's a good and that's not a criticism that's a good thing i think oh yeah violence totally. should be nasty violence should be hard to watch in a way because it's a pet hate of mine that uh, films that have like quite low certificates like 12s and pgs but are really mm. violent because they don't actually show the consequence of violence you know what i mean i've always thought that that can have a much more damaging effect on young children than actually seeing something yes violent yeah. that makes sense thinking that violence has no consequences is quite wor- quite a worrying thing to teach yeah. children yeah. um whereas i don't think anyone's going to doubt the consequences of violence after having watched Pan's Labyrinth. So the bit oh, with the God, yeah. the bit with the with his mouth that gets me, like where it's cut. Yeah, it's yeah. it's really interesting. I was going about to say with that one, Del Toro again specifically talks about like how that mouth cut bit in terms mm-hmm. of symbolization in the film is meant to be like a crack of the villain of the piece actually showing that he's the real monster. Because prior to that, you know, he was this really vain wanted to be looking perfect character and that face slice uh, and him having to sew it up himself is kind of like him becoming a monster which i was like that's great uh, so and it, as you say it's really unpleasant it's really really awful and you know the bit that always stands out to me as well is in pan's labyrinth with the bottle being smashed into the guy's face yes it's so brutal it's so brutal oh yeah no it comes out of nowhere a little bit because he had these films do have this fairy tale like tone but like Mm. super dark as well Mm. Um, Mm. which i think is that's what people love by him that's his wheelhouse that's why he 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 works is dark fairy tale with monsters basically yes yes totally and you get that's crimson peak that's pan's labyrinth that's shape of water and then that's why there's some of they're my favourites, and, and they're films that you think of when you think of him. Like, mm-hmm. um, like I'm sure we'll come to it soon. But like Pacific Rim, for example, mm. I always forget he made Pacific Rim. Yes, because it, yes. Well, yeah, we'll come to that in a minute. About like he doesn't. <laughs> I watched it, and I I was like, watched it knowing it was his film. So I'm like, okay, this is interesting. But but like, I'm curious to see why. Mm. What? How much of hit, what I think of as his style from the mm. bits I've seen 
make it into this film you know yeah it's interesting pursuit for him jason throw it to you in terms of like uh, a film in his catalog that you think is maybe lesser known and people should appreciate more um or maybe a good introductory film to his his catalog which one would you like to stand out for you uh, yes, I would say a film he made, uh, I believe, in 1993, if I'm not mistaken. It's called mm. Kronos. Mm. Yes, I it's a rather. We've seen it. Yeah, tell us about it. It's kind of it's kind of like a vampire film. I think mm. it's about this um, elderly man, elderly man who finds a peculiar device that it kind of it has kind of a nail, nails in it, and it goes mm. into his skin, and it turns him into kind of a vampire it makes him it gives him eternal life but it in return he has to drink blood it's it's a rather interesting film as i recommend that one Mm. interesting that's his first project his first film i'm just looking at it now uh marvels of internet um and i think i actually have seen clips of this but didn't realize it was himself um very interesting is there is there a particular do you think it's just a good starting point because it is his first film it kind of allows you to see that sort of style he has it does yeah you know it's, it's a kind of it's a fantasy film and del toro often does fantasy since mm. that's his speciality and it also and i don't know if you guys know this but he also tends to have a peculiar devices in his film you know mm. peculiar mechanical devices and mm-hmm. you can see that in chronos as well it's that mm. device that makes gives people um eternal life mm-hmm mm-hmm that's in my opinion, yeah, yeah, yeah no, no, it's totally interesting. Uh, no, carry on. Is, is it a film that you think? I, I, it's interesting with his catalog because you're saying the fantasy, the 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 unique mechanics, and it's kind mm. of what uh, Andy was saying before as well. That is his wheelhouse. It is what we think of when we we think of his films. You know, when when we go Del Toro, the ones that stand out for me is obviously Pan's Labyrinth, uh, Shape of Water. Even though I'm not as fond of it as other people, and it, do you think because we've mentioned it, we've mentioned it? Have you seen Pacific Rim? I guess, Jason, and and if you have, do you feel do you feel it doesn't fit into the catalog? I have not seen Pacific Rim. Sorry, That's fair enough, man. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I guess I can throw that over to Andy then because it is one that mm. I, uh, when I saw it, I didn't actually know it was him who made it. I had no idea. It was just right. a friend of mine was like, "Oh, we should watch this film. It's great." So I went and saw it and I was like, this is fun. Like it's a good time and I enjoyed it. But now I know it's Del Toro. It doesn't really fit, particularly with the monsters in it, because he talked about, you know, the idea of change in his monsters from from Pan's Labyrinth um, and, and, and Shape of Water. There is a change of his creatures. And another one that we haven't talked about, but is lesser known uh, is Devil's Backbone. Uh, which is again yes. like a really, really, really good film, and interestingly enough, linked to Pan's Labyrinth, um, the the children in Devil's Backbone become some of the freedom fighters in Pan's Labyrinth, uh, which is just an interesting like tidbit of connection there. Um, but they all have like this very like detail like creatures that are like almost like close enough to us that they're unsettling. But Pacific Rim was this ridiculously overtop like battle between robots and giant creatures, and it doesn't really fit as much for me. How do you feel about it, Andy? Yeah, I think um, I enjoyed it. I went in thinking this is going to be not great. Like mm. I just I watched the trailer, I seen trailers, and I just thought mm. this is just doesn't look good. But his name attached, I just think there's got to be something here. But then mm. I did enjoy it. I did. Um, it's a lot of big thing punching other big thing. <laughs> like that is basically most of the film. Um, mm. But there's some good stuff in it. Like the, the character stuff is all okay. Like it's all right. The performances are all right. Although Charlie Hunnam, bless him, his accent vet, like is quite, <laughs> it's fine most of the time. And then every now and then you can hear that he's a Geordie. You're like, oh, like I've just, I just remembered that you're not American and that quite clearly there. Um, yeah. And then they've got Idris Elba doing like his own accent when we know we can do a good American accent from the wild. Yeah. And it's like, you could have done them the other way around, to be honest. Um, but but no, it's, it's all right. It's quite entertaining. Towards the end, like after the like fourth big fight, I was like, okay, I'm done now, to be honest. Mm. And some of the dialogue is really like, 
corny and cliche. I think the reason for me it didn't, I think what it let me down on a bit was that it didn't feel, and again, you know, I've mostly seen, you know, um, his things like Shape of Water and Pan's Labyrinth and and not his block, because he has made other blockbusters, you know, he's on Hellboy and Blade 2, but like, there's the monster thing, and from what I've heard about Nightmare Alley, it's got that same theme of the of monsters mm. and the idea that we're the real monsters. We mm-hmm. people have kind of cottoned on to that by now. That his yeah. basic point all the time is humans are the real monsters. Yes, things that look a bit weird and freaky are actually really nice. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But Pacific Rim is like the opposite. It's very straightforward. There's these big monster things, and we must blow them up. Like that. Yeah. That is what it is. And I thought, is there going to be a twist here? It's kind of like in um, I don't know if I've seen the the host, the Bong Joon Ho film. Um, oh yeah, 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 I have seen, and that's that, yeah. like looks like a sort of monster, a disaster apocalypse thing. But then mm. it twists into being a kind of like you know, cautionary tale about how we treat other beings and stuff. Because then it's mm. like it's a provoked thing. But here with these kaiju in Pacific Rim, it is literally just they're big things that want to kill us, and we've got to blow them up or fight them or punch them mm. or whatever. Mm. And it, there's no nuance, and it doesn't matter really. But from him, I was a bit surprised because I thought, well, it doesn't really fit with the rest of his body of work and that's fine because it didn't have to like but it's also just that it's all cg and cg's fine and the cg in that like i think it was just what 2013 or something like it's not yeah. recent recent and no. you know it's not the best visual effects ever seen. it's not the worst and it's not like too overused but it's his film when i think of pan's labyrinth which is the one that i can't get out of my head i think of this handcrafted design i think of doug jones who's in like almost all of his yeah, films in amazing. a suit a really yeah. tall. Have you ever seen? Have you ever seen actual Doug Jones? He's he's a very tall, mm-hmm. um, quite slim, slender mm-hmm. guy. He, he's mm-hmm. in so many of Del Toro's films, playing these. Yeah, he's the fawn in Pan's Labyrinth, mm-hmm. and it's it has that tactile feel to it that you just yes. can't really replicate with visual effects. Like it's it's about makeup, and it can be enhanced with visual effects. But the kaiju mm-hmm. in um, Pacific Rim are so impersonal. Yes. They're so just big lizard things and the it's design's off. cool but yeah it, it's just not yeah it's impersonal it's not got mm. that crafted quality because I, he loves monsters there's, there's books you know with mm. all his like drawings and all about mm-hmm. him and his relationship with monsters and creatures mm. and that love of your beasts and creatures and stuff just doesn't come across in pacific rim at all i completely agree with you it's it's I, it is a good film but it is more so I don't want to say it's disappointing because I think I'll get a lot of hate from people being like, it's amazing. How can you say that? It's a great action film. And that is the thing. Why it's disappointing, I guess, is that it is just a good action film, mm. which is it is can be that. That's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. As you say, it's, it's, there's no reason why it has to be anything more than that. But from somebody who, as you say, has such a meticulous detail of making monsters and creatures and making them like so part of the universe that he details them into the world like in devil's backbone when we see the 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 child ghost in it um spoilers for anybody else in it but there's like a detail because the child is like drowned when he was a child uh, the water effects in the film are so like meticulously detailed like even walls he was saying in an interview that there are walls that they painted for hours and hours and hours to make them look like water had flooded it so that there's salt deposits across the wall so that you have this sort of like connection to this ghost of a child who's like always wet and has like blood coming from them at all times. So you have this sort of visceral nature. The the kaiju almost don't have any connection to anything in the world and thus are very outside of the realms of like being there. They're just so obviously not real and digital. And there's again, nothing wrong with that, but for a director who's so meticulous it almost was a bit disappointing, if you get what I mean. And it, it, I completely agree with you in that sense. And his films, even when we do talk at the blockbuster films that he's made with, say, The Hellboy, which, Jason, you mentioned before, it's standing out as one of your favourites. I still think, even though I'm not the biggest fan of Hellboy just because I'm a comic book fan, I still think it has, like, such details, both of them. Like, I actually like The Golden Army, even though I'm not the biggest fan of the, the, the series. I keep having to face that. I'm not the biggest fan of this series because I love the comic books. But they have such detail that like when you have the disc face sort of angel demon creature in in the film, 
because it's actually there, the reaction from the actors is so more believable. And they have like a real like, oh my God, there's an angel demon thing in front of me. Whereas in Pacific Rim, it just doesn't, it doesn't feel like that because it's just creatures punching each other. Yeah. Is it, is it, I guess, Jason, to get back to films that, you know, obviously you haven't seen Pacific Rim and, and I don't want to be like, I, I feel like maybe we've missold it. Are you, are you going to watch it now, I guess, from us talking about it? But is there, in within the catalogue that we're discussing with his blockbuster more films, the Blade 2s, the Hellboys, is there, I know you've mentioned Hellboy before that as, as the one that stands out for you, but is do you feel like he has such a way of making those films that he can apply himself to a lot of different blockbusters or do you find that perhaps he needs to stay in that wheelhouse of fantasy? Well, what I love about uh, his films is the fantasy. You know, I like the the stories he creates, and the mostly I like the creatures in them. I think they look, you know, fantastic, and I think the actors and the makeup artists do a great job with them. Mm. Now, if it should be an action, I mean, I think that could work for him maybe, but I just never fancied seeing Pacific Rim. You know, giant monsters fighting each other that just didn't appeal to me. So maybe mm-hmm. action could work for the Toro. I mean. I mean, Hellboy is great. It's, a, it's an action film, and it's great. Mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. I think he, I think he does action scenes well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, I, I think I think uh, you know what it is interesting looking at Hellboy because I haven't watched that in so many years, and it, it follows the sort of like first run of the comic books, which the comics are just so huge and vast that I understand why he narrowed it down onto a singular sort of like path of the story. And it does totally work. It does really, really, really work. And again, you look at like, he creates such tapestries in those action films, like in Hellboy with the villains. Uh, I can't remember the villain's name, which is outrageous because I'm such a comic book fan, but the uh, robot sort of like Nazi creature that's like, cut away parts of his body to survive um it's so like unsettling for like a, an action film <laughs> when you have him like turning himself back on because he's a clockwork sort of creature now it's really unsettling and as you say he creates these fantastic worlds with that i guess this throws open why ask why what we think he can do I, i'm interested to see nightmare alley uh, quite a lot um but I guess it links to because we've we've touched upon saying oh we'll come back to Shape of Water so maybe we'll come back again but is there films that you guys have heard he was connected to making or know that he's coming up to make that you're excited to perhaps delve into that world because of the world that he's able to create visually because he is a visual director more than anything else I think that's one of the things he stands out as above his peers is that his worlds are so well made um, I mean, is there anything like Jason, you know, he's going to be making or a film that you heard he would have made that you're interested in perhaps him being able to create? Well, I heard at some point that he was going to make uh, films, films, films that were based on the works of H.P. Lovecraft. I think that would have been fantastic for him. I think that I think that he would have done a fantastic job there if he does it in the future. Yes. Yes, I actually hadn't heard of that, but now now you've said that, I'm like he would totally work for for that uh, universe. That 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 would be an amazing choice of director. Yeah, I, I completely agree. Um, Andy, what about yourself? Um, I feel like this may be the one you're thinking of as well, but The Hobbit for me yeah. is is the obvious one. Um, yeah. He he just seems. I think if if anyone who doesn't know. Guillermo del Toro for years was attached to make a film or films, maybe, of The Hobbit. Um, and then it, for one reason or another, it never happened. And then Peter Jackson came back and made them um, mm. instead. And essentially made um, he, he made more films in his Lord of the Rings style. And I, I adore Lord of the Rings and Peter Jackson's um, films, and, and they're amazing. Um, but The Hobbit would have... Just the thought of Guillermo del Toro making The Hobbit just still excites me so much mm. because, mm. you know, what is Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit and, and these fantasy films if they're not about, um, if they're not about monsters and creatures and adventure? Mm. And I think perhaps more so than Lord of the Rings because Lord of the Rings is a grand epic tale of, um, of fellowship and mm-hmm. of friendship mm-hmm. and of loyalty and of power and how power corrupts and greed, etc. There's all this going on. The Hobbit, uh, with, 
I've actually read The Hobbit and not read Lord of the Rings, but mm. the book of The Hobbit, it's, it's, it's got, you know, themes and stuff, you know, it's not, like, just surface level, but I feel like The Hobbit is more of an adventure, it's more of a fun adventure, um, that it has quite a lot of incident mm-hmm. in it, um, but perhaps could be less, more about the adventure itself, whereas Lord of the Rings has kind of got a big grand sweep to it, mm-hmm. about the mm-hmm. battle for literally the whole earth, whereas The Hobbit's a bit more about the story of one Hobbit's adventure. And I think if mm. Guillermo had made that one, it could have he could have brought out the life in the the monsters so well, and mm. that handcrafted like the design and everything. I just would have really liked to have seen what that would have done. Mm. Um, and the other thing, well, it's a weird one because um, I remember watching quite close together. I watched Rebecca, yes. the the new version of Rebecca, um, the mm. Army Hammer Lily James one, mm-hmm. which was okay. Um, and I also watched Crimson Peak quite close to it, and mm. I'd heard other people say this, and I was like, Crimson Peak is basically like watching Game of Toro make Rebecca, but with like <laughs> it's because it's it's kind of what I wanted a, a Ben Wheatley's Rebecca to be. Um, mm. Obviously, it is goes a bit freakier, and there's more blood, and it's a bit crazier. But like, I'd quite like to see him have a go at a literary adaptation like that with quite a bit of license and just something like a Rebecca, which has obviously all these like gothic ghost story. Mm. undertones to it and and really amp that up because mm-hmm. Hitchcock's version of Rebecca's great it'd be uh, it's like, amazing it's great but like he could have gone like a completely more gonzo like direction whereas the Ben Wheatley one kind of has a bit of that but doesn't really commit to it and that's yes. what I didn't like whereas but he doesn't need to read Vegas because he made Crimson Peak which is basically a similar story of like a haunting of an old person an old um and another woman and then it all goes mm. wrong and it's all ah you know yeah um but yeah, something like that. I mean, the Hobbit's the big one, I think, for me. That we know it's not probably never going to get to make now, but it would have been no. would have been great. I think it, it is weird one with the Hobbit. Like you are completely right that you know Lord of Rings. I, I love that you prefaced your like criticism of the Hobbit being like I love Lord of the Rings because <laughs> the, those trilogy, the trilogy of Lord of Rings is like I think some of the greatest films ever made. I think as a trilogy, yeah. it's outstanding. Oh yeah, but the Hobbit trilogy, I don't think it's wrong to say is not great. It's not great. It's broadly like bad, I think. And like I I, I know some Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous to your contracts, they said, "What the f- are you talking about you insane Hollywood ass so to recap we're cutting the price of mint unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees promote for new customers for limited time unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows full terms at mintmobile.com I'm Sandra and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for but you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role like me in a given month over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites so if you're not looking on LinkedIn you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra start hiring professionals like a professional post your free job on linkedin.com/people today people may like it and forgive it but i really don't think it works very well and i, I also don't hate peter jackson for making it because if you look at behind the scenes it didn't look like it was the easiest film to make and he obviously wasn't having a great time and there was a big thing about it wasn't there but i think he did it partly because it was helpful for they weren't going to shoot it in new zealand were they i don't know if he did if he didn't come back and he really wanted it to be made there because it was so important for the country yeah so, you know yeah and and i think i agree with you that like del toro because the hobbit the book as well, because I've read the book and the Lord of Rings. And it's interesting because like the book, obviously Lord of Rings, the film trilogy came first. And then the book for, for, for in, in, you know, uh, when it was written by Tolkien, the Hobbit was first and it was for his children. And it was far more like fairy tale than the Lord of Rings. Mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. it's far more like child esque in its sort of like representations of orcs and goblins. And they're all very like the standard, imagination that we have of these worlds dragons with coins and sitting on their gold thrones and things like that and dwarves and these huge mines and very more fairy taley whereas obviously we have those elements in lord of rings but as you say it becomes more of a grand epic and like this this journey of 
getting good against evil, whereas The Hobbit is just a, a journey to steal some gold. <laughs> and, you know, the I feel Del Toro would have really brought that sort of detail. Like, I could really imagine his orcs being, like, really completely different to the orcs we saw in Lord of the Rings. Yeah. And being really weird and, like, unique. And I, I was something I was really excited by. Uh, and it's a shame that we probably will never get that. And it's it's a shame that what we've got instead is kind of like, I don't want to say hollow, because that makes it sound really horrible to Peter Jackson, but it does feel like a bit empty. And it's just like a general Hollywood blockbuster film rather than like an expression of perhaps somebody's vision of a world, because that's what Lord of Rings feels like for Peter Jackson. But, you know, The Hobbit doesn't feel like that. It just feels like he's doing the same again. Um but yeah, it's interesting you say about him making something with like a sort of like Rebecca vibe because yeah, I, I love the original Rebecca and I think it's fantastic and it would be really interesting to see him because obviously he's done a lot of horror that is sort of like where he's most home at, I guess, in that fantastical dark uh, horror base, you know. Um, I would, his films are always very linked as well to the the history that they're in. And you have like Devil's Backbone being in the Spanish Civil War. And then you have um, Pan's Labyrinth linking onto that being more in the post of that in Franco's um, dictatorship. And obviously Shape of Water being within the Cold War. I think getting a piece of work, if it is literature, and building around perhaps a world like Rebecca or a horror film that has that sort of element to it. I'm always intrigued. I'm always intrigued. I think that's why my nightmare alley, although it does it. I mean, you might be able to correct me guys, if you know more about nightmare alley, because I've only seen the trailer, which kind of took me off guard. I didn't realize he had a film coming out. The, the next film I knew of him making was Pinocchio, which we can discuss a bit. I didn't realize nightmare alley was something he was making. Is it, as you mentioned, it's meant to be the horror, the, 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 the people are the monsters. Is there a fantastical element to it? Because the trailer didn't really... I couldn't really tell that. I couldn't see if there was like a fantasy element. Is it? Is there something to that? Do either of you know much about Nightmare Alley? I'm not sure. Um, I think... I mean, the trailer has that... Again, I've really just seen the, the trailer and that's it, really. Mm. Um, I think it's got... I mean, there's that whole thing about is he man or is he beast? So I think there is some sort of monster in there. Mm. But we don't mm. see it in the trailer and it very much seems to be about people. It's also surprisingly not surprisingly but like it's very star-studded isn't it Nightmare yeah Island. like it's yeah. got some big names in it. and he's worked with big names before but he's never had a cast like quite like this where he's assembled a sort of you know all-star a-list cast which i think is quite a new thing for him to do mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. because he's had he's worked with great actors before but he hasn't really had this kind of like big ensemble i wouldn't before i don't think I don't think so. I think obviously yeah. the biggest stars he's had were in Shape of Water, but even then it wasn't like they weren't. These are some actors. big actors. Yeah, <laughs> you know Bradley Cooper is a huge actor to to have in your film, um, and everybody in it is essentially like a big big actor. Willem Dafoe as well, Kate Parchette. Like it, it yeah. is a it is a star studded cast. Do you know much about it, Jason? No, I'm pretty much the same. I just seen mm. the trailer, you know. It it looks interesting. Mm. I don't know if I'm gonna see it, but it's like you no, know, Bill Tolman makes good films, so mm. it'll probably be worth watching. I don't yeah. know if it's, it's for me. I don't know if it's for me. So that's all. Yeah, that's the that's what I'm intrigued by. I mean, it has caught me, and I think the three of us have had a similar experience, maybe with the trailer. And obviously, directors don't make trailers. That's mm. two different things, you know. Like, and we've seen what happens when people who make di- uh, trailers make films, which is obviously with Suicide Squad. But you know, when you they're very different, and they're meant to sell a film. And I was intrigued by it, but it did leave me, and maybe that's the point. It did leave me being like, I didn't realize this is a Del Toro film. It didn't feel like a Del Toro film to me again, you know, like with um, Pacific Rim. I hope it is different though from the trailer. And I just wondered if either of you guys knew this, there was like a fantastical element. Obviously, there's some form of uh, mysticism in it um, with Bradley Cooper's character um, being clairvoyant. But it, it, I just wondered because he does love monsters so much that it seemed to just have none of that. In the, in the trailer is just none zero but i guess that leads us to in a, in a way because this is obviously his first film which i didn't know was coming out uh after shape of water um and 
and Shape of Water is this film that how do you follow up from Shape of Water? Because it was, even though for me, you know, I, I didn't enjoy it as much, critically acclaimed. It for me, why it didn't like jump out because we're there now, we're on Shape of Water. <laughs> it didn't stand out for me as much because I felt like it was trying to say a lot. And I do think it had a lot to say in terms of like society and 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 identity, you know, who's the monster, etc. But I don't feel it really went into that as much. It's like it was all very quite like surface level. I'd, and I enjoyed Pan's Labyrinth profusely because of the detail it has in terms of like the dictatorship that was happening in Spain and the, the world that like Pan's Labyrinth and Pan being this creature, this monster that people were afraid of, but it's actually the people. I felt like Shape of Water just did that again, but not as good. It was like like very like, oh yeah, it's the the guy, he's he's the bad guy, he's the real monster, and the creature isn't a monster. Oh, you know, I'd, it just felt a bit like run again. Did do I I mean I'm sure you guys completely disagree with me and that's that's great. That's the point of film discussion. But what would you say to I guess try and convince somebody like myself who was a bit like yeah yeah to to look at it again I guess uh, either of yourselves I mean throw it open to either of you <laughs> um I think I just think it, it it hits all the all the spots I wanted it to really I just think mm. I mean maybe I don't think I'm going to convince you because I think I need to rewatch it to kind of you know dig into what you've um, you know, kind of your specific problems with it, if that makes sense. Mm. Yeah, no, I understand. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I have thrown it to you kind of left yeah. field being like, tell me why I should like this. No, film. but I just, <laughs> I liked, um, I think it, it, it melded his kind of dark fairy tale spirit with a mm. sort of fairly standard thriller because it's got, it, it, you know, it's got that kind of just exciting element, you know, his period piece and there's the whole, you know, there's the nasty agents. Michael Shannon's great in it. Oh yeah, um, yeah, being you know Michael Shannon, the most terrifying man on screen. Um, <laughs> he, I'm sure he's lovely, but like <laughs> on on screen, he's usually terrifying. Oh, um, I love the idea that he's actually just a really terrifying man, just walking around in his yeah, life. He's like, not actually <laughs> acting; he's just really scary. Yeah, he's um, just terrifying. <laughs> um, but yeah, he's. I just think he's got that. I think it just blends very well. I think it's a more accessible film than some of his others. Mm. I think it would appeal to people that would hate Pacific Rim. And also mm-hmm. appeal to people that don't particularly like um, Pan's Labyrinth, even, or mm-hmm. maybe um, some of his like more fairy taley films. I think it combines all those elements and makes it more like into just kind of a mainstream romantic thriller, mm-hmm. whilst retaining its own weirdness. I think it's quite a hard trick to pull off, and I think he did. Um, mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I, I, that's that's why you know why me coming out to bat for it really i think that's fair i think that's i mean it's a fair it's a fair argument um with it because it, i think it does balance those things very well i think what it what it just did for me because people i know loved it like i and there's people who are close to me who are film fans and film critics and they absolutely adored uh shape of water um and perhaps i was just expecting more because it was it was overhyped for me maybe mm-hmm. Um, because when I went in and I, it does, there's just a particular bit, which I remember where we see a lot of civil discord on TV and they purposely turn off the TV to be like, oh, you know, that that's happening. Let's not talk about that. And then they try and like show discord in like certain aspects of the film with characters being treated badly because of the way they are and who they are and, and that, that it is wrong for that to happen and obviously in its time period it's taking place and obviously with the creature being representative of that but it just felt very surface levelly and mm-hmm. I totally agree with you it's very accessible for most people I don't think Pan's Labyrinth is a very accessible film but Jason I, don't, I mean what would you say in terms of Shape of Water and, and its, its, its reach I guess and how it, it, it's approached as I'm coming to it you know I'm coming to it maybe in a in a negative way you know uh, I think it's a beautiful film. You know, mm. I think the story is very very intriguing about that extraordinary, mysterious creature being discovered, and the the bond it creates with the with the main character that cleaner. Mm. You know, it's just, you know the cinematography is fantastic, and the the music is beautiful, mesmerizing. Mm. 
Mm. And it's a fantasy film. It's, I think it's, it would definitely appeal to fans of Guillermo del Toro. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I do recommend it. Yeah, I d- yeah, I, maybe I do need to watch it again. Because like yourself, Andy, I've only watched it once. Mm-hmm. And I saw it at the film. I remember seeing it in uh, York where I was studying at the time. And so uh, did I. I just... yeah. Oh, did you? There yeah. you go. <laughs> I was also studying in York and also saw it there. Yeah. Oh, did we have we had this conversation? Maybe not on the maybe podcast. We have. I don't yeah. know. Maybe on the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> not on the podcast. Yeah. Wrong time. Wrong time. Um, it's adding to our backstories. If anybody's like listened to yeah. every podcast, they can be like, oh, those two, they went to York. Um, I, I came out of the, um, oh God, what's the... You probably know where it is, actually. Do you know where uh, it was cinema? a new? Yeah, it was a new cinema that opened up. It wasn't the Picture House one. It wasn't the Picture House. Was it the? Was it the Everyman? That's it. The Everyman yeah. one. You see, this is real. That yes, exactly. I actually worked in the Sainsbury's next to that, but that's a that's again backstory. Backstory that's not needed. Um, <laughs> the Everyman. I went to see it with my partner and my flatmate at the time as well worked at Everyman, and he was telling me how good it was. He was like, it's a great film. It's amazing. I loved it. And like, I really value his opinion. He's also a comic book writer, and he's like, he, he is a big film fan, and me and him have a lot of similar tastes. So when I went to see it, I, I saw it, and I, just, I don't know what it was, why I was so disappointed. <laughs> Maybe it's, as you said at the beginning of the podcast, when something wins best film, there's almost an expectation for it to be like, outstanding and like the best thing you've seen of that year and like it's going to be like top billing um but it just it just didn't do something for me that other films did i'm trying to think what else was nominated that year did like can you remember or what other standout films were of that year? get out was was what yeah okay was, there you go done that's better yeah that <laughs> one he got um john hill one script and then right del toro got director and film um, I, I think Get Out's better. I'm yeah, just, I, think, I think it's definitely probably going to last. But it's going to be a film we talk about in 30 years much more. Yes. Um, I, do, yeah. I do remember feeling that there was a lot of goodwill towards Shape of Water winning because I think everyone likes Guillermo del Toro. I mean, I don't know who any... I don't actually know any of these people personally, really. But yeah. <laughs> it was kind of along those ones where people were like, yeah, he probably should have won this for Pan's Labyrinth. But, like, you know, we're happy that he's kind of got his moment. Because yeah. also, it's, it was nice, I think, either of Get Out or um, Shape of Water won, actually. They're mm. both big genre films. They're fantasies yes. and horrors and stuff. And it's very yes. rare that those films win an Oscar at all. It was actually, I think, some people thought it was a bit of a victory for, you know, fantasy and for fairy mm. tales and that kind mm. of film. Because normally, they mm. don't win awards, no, actually. They, they normally have to be a kind of... It has to be a drama, and that's it, basically. It can't be comedy, yeah. it can't be horror, it can't be action, whatever. Yeah. Um, which... So that and that was nice, and there was a lot of goodwill to the fact that, and a director who's kind of oddity. The the idea that the person who made Pacific Rim was also now an, an Oscar winner, I think, mm. was quite quite um, nice for a lot of people. I think, um, and it is nice to say I think he's someone who kind of deserved that in a way because he's had a big influence and a big impact on on film, you know, modern mm. film. Um, mm. Whether the Shape of Water or not was the right film for him to win for he's still probably someone who deserved that recognition, I think. Yeah, I, I, I get what you what you mean. I think that's true. I think when you have somebody who has a catalogue like him and probably should have won for a film before, but that's the weird thing with the Oscars. Maybe this is a different discussion yeah. for another time in terms of like Oscar, like generally. I find the Oscars almost like quite funny to watch sometimes because it's... You've got to take the whole thing not seriously. Yeah, it's so funny, some of the ones that have won. Like, I don't want to be like, this again, not the right podcast, but some of the ones, like, I think one that really just, again, this is totally, again, backstory. People know I don't like Christopher Nolan, but, like, one of his films won for best editing, and his films are just terribly edited. They're so, like, not well edited. And I was like, how? How is this one for best editing? It was this is insane. The other one was, like, when... um. I mean, I'm, I may just be really ignorant on this, so apologies mm. if I am to anyone involved. But it was when people, a lot of people pointed out it was weird when 1917 was nominated for Best Editing. Mm. I was like, has it been edited? Like, it's one shot. <laughs> yeah. I, it has, I it mean, has. That, like, that, <laughs> it is, has. that is like a skill, obviously. <laughs> but you think you look at a lot of these other films and you're like, you know, there's a lot more, like part of the point of this is it's supposed to look seamless. Yes, and, and now you're saying that oh, you know, but I mean, obviously there are clear breaks in it, 
But I feel yeah. like it's much more about the direction and the cinematography of that. Film. Yeah, yeah, cinematography um, is how they pulled else. off that trick rather than in the yeah. editing suite. Yeah, yeah, I get it what you mean. It has to be planned, is the point. Yeah, I get what you after. mean. Yeah, I get what you mean. I get what yeah, asking. obviously, I mean, I know there is an editor, but he's just an odd one. I have some of the other films that year, you're like, was that? But, but, but interestingly, I think, I think what was interesting is that the film that has been won Best Picture, I think, is almost always nominated for a win's Best Editing as well. Yeah. That's a weird yeah, thing. I think yeah. people sort of saying this is just because the films that are in Best Picture just also get Best Editing and always do, and they don't really think mm. about it, was what mm-hmm. people were saying, whether that's right or not. Um, mm. Luckily, the year Christopher Nolan won for editing, I think it actually was bloody. Um, oh, I I know it's Tenant, but I call it Tenet because that's how it's spelled. But oh, the, was it? I think, yeah, I think it was. Which I'm just like, it's. So, I hate that film. I'm just going to say it point blank. I just, <laughs> I really hate that film. And my partner, who likes Christopher Nolan, also does not like that film. Mm-hmm. And it's so jarringly edited, like. So yeah, you you are right with something like nineteen seventy. This is not part of Del Toro. What are we doing here? <laughs> what, 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 How did we get to, to this point? Yeah, let's stop. <laughs> uh, but with Del Toro, I get what you mean with somebody winning an Oscar. I guess who who deserves it? It's interesting. I mean, Shape of Water definitely isn't a bad film. Like, I'm not going to be sat no. here and be like, you know, I don't think it deserved to win because it's not like Tenet or any of those films, which I don't like. Um, I do really enjoy it. It just, when I left that film, I just felt disappointed because perhaps it is, uh, from what I've read about the making of Shape of Water from Del Toro himself, because I, I say, I really, really like him as well. He seems like a genuinely lovely person and an amazing director. And he seems to have gone through like crazy hardships. Like when you read about his like life, He's gone through like a lot of like uh, violence, which maybe influences his films. Um, he like was saying how like Shape of Water was a film that he really wanted to pour a lot of his self and love into, and he'd used a lot of his own money to make it as well. Like it wasn't as funded as say you know Hellboy or or his other like Pacific Rim. This is a film he really wanted love, and he was talking about like when he made Devil's uh, Backbone, he went straight into making uh, Blade. And he felt like Devil's Backbone is forgotten about because Blade became the film that he was just making. And he is right, because I don't know how many people have seen Devil's Backbone. It's a film that's like kind of in his catalogue. It's quite hard to get hold of as well. It's not available on like, um, because I was going to watch it before this and then Mm. just last night and we have time to get hold of it. And I was like, oh, it's not like, you know, know, £3.49 on Amazon or YouTube or Google Play. It's on none of them. Yeah, no. I saw it in uh, uni when we were doing about the Spanish, because I did history. Mm. Uh, We were doing about the Spanish Civil War and Franco, and we watched both Pan's Labyrinth and Devil's Backbone linking together. I think my lecturer had a DVD of it. And um, yeah, that's something that people don't realise, that they are linked. There is a link. And and it's kind of like, uh, I guess, again, a, a del Toro trope that the or not trope that sounds harsh but a del toro like uh style that the the protagonists or the heroes of our story don't always really have happy endings and they're actually quite tragic uh in their story shape of water being like yeah it's nice at the end they're together in the ocean but like it there is like points where you're like they could die this is you know this is it and you know at the end of pan's labyrinth you know she's dead in spoilers she's dead in the whole world um yes. if you if you're listening to this you should have watched these um she's she's dead but you know perhaps she's rejoined you know the the fantasy that you know was the world um and the same with devil's backbone there is this like sadness that the characters from devil's backbone end up dying in pan's labyrinth because they are the ones who are the uh freedom fighters who get shot some of them get killed by the the general and um I think, as you say, it's kind of like he, I think he's right. It does get forgotten about because he went straight into making this big production that was Blade. And he really wanted to spend a lot of time on Shape of Water. He wanted to give Shape of Water like the the, the respect that he feels it was due. And it totally is. It's just there's something about it that I left being disappointed by. And I will return to it. You know, both of you talking about it has made me go, actually, maybe I need to give this another go. Because I thought it was like a solid seven out of ten. Um, although I've changed my film ranking system again, but again, another time. <laughs> uh, but you know, I thought it was broadly, you know, good. But a lot of people would say it was amazing, so I should probably give it another go. And and I think both of you have made a very good argument to give it another go. Um, so yeah, I, I'll, I'll do it. I'll do it based on what you've said. <laughs> um, 
I think to round up or, or get to the closing, because we are coming to the end of our mm. time together, guys. Um, what films are we like looking forward to? Obviously, we know that he's going to be making Pinocchio and we can discuss what we want to see from that. Uh, interestingly enough, uh, Andy, I was just looking up um, Nightmare Alley. And, you know, you're saying you want his film to be based in like a novel or something. Nightmare yes. Alley is actually a novel. I didn't right. realize. Yeah, it's a, it's a book. Um, so it it seems like he's uh, inspired by it, but it's not exactly the same. But it might be what you're looking for in terms of that. Like, I want him to do something that's based on the literature that he can expand and make his own. Um, just out of interest, yeah. <laughs> yes, but is there yeah. anything that we want a property we perhaps want him to do? You know, we we know he's doing Pinocchio. We can discuss that a bit. But is there something that you'd like him to do, like a completely different thing that you're like, oh, you know, this is something I loved as a kid, or you know, we've discussed perhaps the idea of doing The Hobbit or H.P. Lovecraft, which is such a great idea, Jason. That's like I I, did, I hadn't even heard of that, and I'm like, yes. Is there something that you guys would be like, yeah, I want him to do that, or maybe you just want to discuss Pinocchio in our, our sort of closing aspects of it. Uh, yeah, Andy, go ahead. Yeah, I think. Well, yeah, Pinocchio is, is I'm very excited about basically mm. um, because um, it's just very. It seems very him. It's a it's a fairy tale, but he's clearly going to go and do it a bit darker and a bit differently to m- what most people would do with it because that's what mm. he does. It's stop motion as well. With a great, oh, is it? Yeah, it's stop motion with a great. It's going to be on Netflix, I think. He's working with um like a, uh, a stop motion team i think so he's kind of directing a bit he's, co- he's got a co-director um mm. which i think often happens in animated films doesn't it like with tim mm-hmm. burton mm-hmm. where he directed corpus bride but he has a co-director yeah, it does. with the actual it animation bits. um yeah. but it'll be his vision i think and it's that's just very exciting and the idea of mm. him doing stop motion is seems so obvious yeah to me like now i know that i'm like yeah. wow and it's gonna yeah. be i think i saw a picture from him and he's, he's all gonna wear wooden um, oh wow! And it's and also it's going to be a bit weird. I mean, Pinocchio is a bit of a kind of weird-looking, slightly creepy monster, almost, you know. Mm. And that's what he's going to bring out in it. Um, I'm I'm also reading that it's been he's setting it during the rise of um, fascism in Italy, in Mussolini's Italy. Oh, awesome! So, like oh, a lot, uh, yeah. He sets them <laughs> against the backdrop of fascism, doesn't he, and political things yeah. going on and this kind of escape from that world that is also entangled with that world like Pan's Labyrinth mm. um, but the point is Pinocchio I think and, and fairy tales lend themselves to this so if I was going to answer your question and say what else do I want to see him do any fairy tales really yeah. I want him to yeah. take um, a fairy tale that was dark and twisted and weird then got Disneyfied, and everyone forgot what the fairy tale originally was. Yes, I, yeah. um, as a student at York, um, did <laughs> I did English, and I did a, um, I wrote an essay on adaptation theory. Hmm. Um, I wrote about the Little Mermaid, nice, and the Disney version of the Little Mermaid. And essentially, if you actually read the Little Mermaid, it's quite horrifying. Yeah, um, like the bit, like essentially when she walks on land mm. she it feels as if she's walking on a thousand tiny knives every time she takes a step that's like one of the details that they just miss out on the film because it's you know horrifying but that kind of thing you're like well if, if they actually just made that into a film got mm. Guillermo to do it you know you can imagine Ursula the sea witch and his mermaid would be a lot less um kind of pretty it'd be a lot yeah you know it just yeah, that kind of thing. Just any fairy tale. Really. I'd love to see him just go rip through Disney's back catalogue and make. Yeah, it all... do the sort of Brothers Grimm. Yeah, ones. do the original versions of these things, or just mm. do what he wants with it. To be honest, because mm. I think fairy tales are great things, and he doesn't do them cynically. Something like Pan's Labyrinth is still beautiful and still really yeah. sweet, and still has the same messages of you know hope and happiness and romance mm. that. Um, that a Disney fairy tale does. He just does mm-hmm. it in a much more roundabout, slightly odd way. Mm, mm, and so actually, completely. I think fairy tales are, are made for that kind of thing. It makes stops them being too sickly. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, anything like that, to be honest. Nice. Yeah, I, I really like that. And 
I completely agree. Now that you've said that, I'm thinking like, oh man, you could do like so many of the Disney stories just like in a really creepy way. Jason, what about yourself? Is there anything you, obviously Pinocchio now from Andy selling it. I'm like, I really want to see that. <laughs> but what about yourself, Jason? Is, it, is there anything that you're, are you looking forward to Pinocchio? Is there anything you'd like him to delve into, I guess? Yeah, I think Pinocchio would be rather interesting. And I do, I personally do hope that sometime in the future he will decide to do a film based on the works of H.P. Lovecraft. Yeah. I think because, because that universe has some rather terrifying monsters in it. And I think yeah. it would be fantastic to see Del Toro bring them to life. Yes. Yeah. I completely agree with you. I completely agree with you. I, I'm particularly fond of H.P. Lovecraft. And, uh, not as a person, he was a terrible human being, but uh, of his writing. And um, I think something that I sometimes am critical of in terms of his writing is sometimes that he, even though he's had these fantastic worlds that he created, he sometimes was limited by, I guess, weirdly by the English language. Because he would write these like really like crazy worlds like um, Innsmouth and um, In the Mountains of Madness, which I think is just like a phenomenal like uh cosmic horror but sometimes he'd be limited by like the way of describing because they're meant to be undescribable these creatures and you know Innsmouth in particular I remember because <laughs> his his literature sorry this is also I also studied history and English at New York so <laughs> I'm like I did like understanding like his work and um you know Innsmouth is meant to be written by somebody who's lost their mind and they saw this awful awful thing and it's so terrible that i can't even possibly describe to you the worst thing that i could possibly tell you oh they were fish people and it like it maybe because we desensitized a bit but like it felt like oh this could be way better visually you know trying to show you the horror rather than trying to describe it and i can't think of a better director now you've said this jason i cannot think of a better director to do hb lovecraft like i can't there's nobody in my mind that I can think to be able to do H.P. Lovecraft the justice that I think it needs. So yeah, I think that's an amazing... Um, if if there isn't anybody making that, Jason, push this. Go to Hollywood, <laughs> push this idea, get it made, because my lord, that's like... I, I love that idea. Um, not that the fairy tales aren't great either, Andy, but man, I, re- I really want to see H.P. Yeah. Lovecraft. And I just can't think of another director. I really can't. Like, In the Mountains of Madness would be phenomenal, like, from his, like, vision. Um, but, yeah, I guess, do you guys have any more to add? I mean, I think this is a maybe a good way to round up our, our visions for what Del Toro can do in the future with his fantastic mind and, like, amazing gothic and dark creations. Is there anything you guys want to add before we, we close up? Not really. I guess just that I'm I'm excited to see to see more of his films. I don't know. I hope he makes a few more because if you look at his his filmography, there are like four year gaps between a lot of his films. Um, he's produced not, some stuff. He did that orphanage, didn't he? So he, he produces produced. a lot, and he's done yeah. some TV. Like he's involved. I see his name everywhere. He was yeah. at Antlers, I think, recently. He was a producer yes. or exec producer. Yeah. Um, you can see his fingerprints at a lot of places, but just you know his films full. Mm. You know the full. Del Toro, um, mm-hmm. just a bit more regularly, please. Yeah, <laughs> please, Mister. Yeah, Del Toro. Yeah, please. <laughs> uh, yourself, Jason. Anything to add? Well, Del Toro has made many interested and, and emotional films, and yeah. that have many memorable characters. Mm-hmm. And I'd be very excited to see what else he has in mind. Yeah, mm-hmm. amazing. Well, thank you, guys. I think I agree with both of you. I think I want to see more of his mind, and I also want to have it more regularly but i guess you can't rush uh, a great filmmaker in their visions and perhaps that's why we love him so much that he is a unique filmmaker in perhaps a world where we see quite generic films coming out we have somebody like del toro who's so great at making something so unique but i just wanted to thank you guys for joining me it's been lovely having you talking about a director who i love very much and i hope to speak to you again soon and i hope you the listeners as well have enjoyed it but it's goodbye from me and uh goodbye from them as well thank you goodbye goodbye thanks guys take care bye
How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volur XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.